Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Welcome to this bonus episode of On the Up and Up. Today, we're going to talk all about how to find your people leader archetype and why it matters. Uh, So we designed this quiz with a few things in mind that we're going to talk about in today's episode. So if you've already taken the quiz, you're going to learn a little bit about each of the types and where they came from. Um, we're also going to dive a little bit deeper into how you as a leader can affect the culture of the company overall or your team overall. Um, we know that teams are microcosms of organizations, so we have kind of this permeable layer around us as a team that is deeply affected by what goes on in the organization as a whole. And as an entrepreneur, you might even have a couple of microcosms within the structure of your company. You may be part of several different teams. So this is really common for managers to be part of a leadership team, but also part of the team that they're in charge of, um, which can create a little bit of a Venn diagram and a little bit of stress and pull. So When you lean into figuring out what your leadership archetype is, then you will be able to be able to make decisions a lot more quickly. You'll be able to justify your decisions more quickly. You're going to be able to be more proactive when you know what it is that you're really great at and what it is that you maybe don't, that maybe doesn't come as naturally and create situations in which you can use your strengths in your archetype instead of trying to kind of fight the uphill battle of trying to do something that you're maybe not so naturally having an affinity for. Um, You're not only going to be able to protect your energy as a leader uh, by identifying when you need space, when you need time, when you need space to think, and also to feel really justified and backed up by your archetype in the sense that you aren't crazy. Sometimes you do just need to take a minute in order to get your best results Um, and to also know how to recharge your batteries. So the things that you learn about your archetypes are really going to help you to create situations in which you can intentionally recharge your energy throughout your workday, managing not only your people and understanding them at a deeper level, but understanding yourself at a deeper level to be able to show up um, in all areas of your life in a more effective and efficient way. I'll give some examples of that throughout each the discussion of each type, um, as well as um, a couple of tips and tricks to dive a little bit deeper into your results. So If you're listening to this podcast on the run, no need to take notes or anything like that. A lot of it is going to be in the PDF results that you received when you took your quiz. Um, But if you haven't yet taken the quiz, um, maybe only listen to the first 10 minutes or so of this episode and then pause it and run over and take the quiz. It takes less than 30 seconds. Um, I should say 90 seconds, but if you're really fast, it can take only 30 seconds. And um, that is going to be linked in our show notes, or you can just go to the-paradigm.com slash quiz or um, 
just shoot us a DM and we'll send you the direct link. But regardless, I'm super excited to hear your results, what really resonated with you, what didn't, and to talk about how you can further capitalize on knowing your leadership archetype moving forward as you're building your team for your business. Um, So oftentimes these results can be really eye-opening. Naming them was the easy part because we just wanted to kind of lean into those stereotypes. But if you did end up getting a result that you were like, wait, that name totally doesn't jive with me. Like I don't feel like it really connects with me. Then give it a second. Go to page two or three of your of your actual um, leadership survival kit, your management survival kit for your style, because it's going to dive a lot more into the psychology behind each of these and where we came up with them. So the first thing I just want to talk about is that when we were designing this quiz, we did it in a reverse way. So we basically took all the types, which it started out with quite a few, um, boiled it down to characteristics of each type based on psychological profiles, even Enneagram results, Colby scores, people we know, um, managers I've trained, directors I've trained and developed, my own experiences. I was going to say people I've been. Um, Because over the course of my career, I have leaned into different elements of each type. And I think the longer that you are a team leader, you will have one that rises above the rest and you can embrace that and you're going to get great results from it. Um, But there's definitely been different times when I have shown up in different types. And I think that that's why we want to make sure and include options for everyone to check out each type and get little nuggets of information along the way. And that's what this, this podcast episode will serve you as. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what we did when we were designing these types. So there was a few different elements that we believe are kind of the things that come up when I'm trying to get to know a leader for the first time when we're starting to coach or consult for them. Um, And that is not just about their company, but as them get to know them as leaders. And so one of the very first things that comes up, and I think this is a buzzword, so I want to use it with caution, um, is boundaries. So I want to know as a leader, what do boundaries look like for you at work? And I think it's really interesting to have this conversation one-on-one. Um, so when we designed the questions, we built in some kind of an undercurrent of understanding what those boundaries look like in practice and not necessarily how you would describe them. Um, because there are different situations in which you may react differently and utilize the tool of boundaries in a different way. Um, This is not a commentary on how and how not to use boundaries. It's actually just a collecting of information for how you may or may not use them in your business. Uh, The second thing is relationships. So just I tell the story all the time, but when I first started my business, I thought about I thought everybody was going to have the same handbook and the same process and the same uh, type of people that they want on their team. And it's just really interesting to, I guess, think about things from not an egocentric perspective. And as a leader, and I wouldn't, I've never leaned into the term coach, but when it comes to coaching um, other leaders with management, it it definitely is more of a coaching style than um, an actual consulting style. But when it comes to all of that, you when you're learning how to do it and all the classes I've taken, the certifications programs I've been in, all of that stuff, um, learning on the job through different, through my corporate job and just in my personal life and through my mentorship 
um, and things like that that I've done to get to the bottom of these things that I find so fascinating. I've just noticed that we, and I mean I, become super focused on what my leadership voice is along the way. And so it's been a fun exercise to kind of open that up over the last few years and work with different types of leaders. And I think it's really interesting because we do have some clients that are very much on the same page. They want to have a really um, the type of relationship that my team and I share. And there are some clients that are much more interested in having something that's a little bit more black and white and on paper. And I just can't say enough. There's no wrong way to do it. Um, the more authentic and the more real you are with yourself through these results, the better that this quiz and the results are going to serve you. Um, but you may think like, oh, the everybody wants this certain type of relationship. And it's been really fun to challenge that egocentrism that has come along with kind of leaning into becoming someone that can help others become better leaders by getting to know themselves. So don't second guess your answers. Like just go with what you want to go with. Like I'm not going to look at them. No one's going to look at them. It's just for you. You can take the quiz a hundred times. No one's going to know. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting because I think the more real you are about the questions that are calling, that are kind of calling to those points of leadership that you think other people might judge you about are the ones that are really going to help you lean into who you really are. So I notice that a lot when I ask questions about relationships, because I think especially female leaders think that there is a right answer for any of these questions on the quiz, and there isn't. Um, it's a summary of the of the whole that's going to make a difference in how you approach situations in the future. Um, the third is communication. So that's how you type how your type prefers to communicate, um, as well as what your natural inclination is towards communication. Oftentimes, this is we always hear about this in all different types of relationships, but especially at work, people think that they're communicating things in a way that they're probably not. Um, and most of the time, and what I wanted this to feel like when you read it is that you felt seen and heard, but also kind of called out a little bit. Um, because every type has affinities towards communication that can cause issues because not everyone is exactly the way that you are. This particular quiz is really specific to becoming a leader, being a manager. And that's going to be a different role that you're going to step into than if you were to take a personality quiz that is just all about who you are as a person. So you may answer some of these questions differently. So try to make sure that you're answering them about when you're stepping into your work zone. Um, and it's interesting because as we work through some of these questions, we started to realize that we could boil it down to five types based on the answers that were starting to blend together because of the way that the types manifest. So we got to cut things down a lot and keep them a little bit more streamlined and straightforward without having there be too many generalities. Um, one of the other things that comes up on the quiz is the way that you like to meet with others. So in a remote business, you, when we say face-to-face, -face, we mean on Zoom. That's considered face-to-face. -face. Um, that We're not talking about like flying somebody out and meeting with them for a quick call or something like, or a quick meeting, something like that. Um, I had to fight my corporate tendency to use their the word interface with others because that annoyed me a lot. But throughout um, the way that we communicate with each other. It's also, it's not just how we're talking, but it's also how we're meeting and how we're showing up and in what ways we can show up as our best. Um, there's a, we're, we're not going to talk about it too much today, but quite a bit of organizational psychology out there. And there's a lot of studies that I've personally gone into a lot just because I'm a nerd like that. And this is kind of my thing. Um, but it's called, called Hofstede's theory of culture. 
And so a couple of the things that we wanted to incorporate into the actual quiz, we're talking about cultural implications that Hofstede has identified as a psychologist. So the last two were directly, we wanted to help measure the individualism versus collectivism mentality of you as a leader. So is it, and you know, we can debate psychology all day. So that's really not what this is about. But if you're showing up as a leader and you're altruistic and you want everyone else to do a great job and to feel really good, that can have an impact on the way that you communicate and manage your team. Um, And on the opposite end, if you are more of an individualist and you're like, if I can show up and I can fill my cup, then I know I can be the best for others. We can still have the same result, a really cared for team, but it's just how we get there. So measuring that in this quiz was important too. And it's woven into those questions. And then finally, one thing that comes up fairly often in many personality quizzes is risk tolerance. So being able to jump into something without a lot of information or being open with jumping into a project without maybe knowing how it's going to end or um, maybe just taking a risk in, in your career, going for something, going for a position that might not have been something that you would have wanted to pursue or taking a course or, you know, kind of measuring that risk and how much of it you, when you're in your workspace and you're in a position of leading others, what your risk tolerance is that directly impacts what leadership style you get. So if you haven't taken the quiz yet, now would be a great time to do it because we're going to talk through some of the results and I wouldn't want you to be too affected by it. Um, <laughs> but in your survival kit, it's going to tell you a few different things about your type. Um, it's going to talk a little bit about kind of the basic generality of your type. So a little bit of who you are, what the quiz tells us about you as a leader. Um, there's some generalized terminology, but a few examples. You should be like right around 70 to 80% feeling like, yeah, that's pretty much right. Or, oh, that's interesting. But some of these things you're maybe not going to have identified with before. um, And you may actually initially disagree and be like, no, that's not me at all. Um, But my inclination is to tell you, be patient. Let's get through the whole experience (laughs) before you decide. Um, You would have been redirected if you've taken the quiz to another page as well, which is a summary, but we're talking more about the PDF that you got in your email. Um, So we're going to dive in. First, let's talk about the Stone Cold Supervisor. So I love this. Um, We represent her as Miranda Priestly. She's really strategic. She seems really unemotional. She's very driven by data. Um, there's a lot of clarity in the expectations. So the title may seem a little bit like harsh, especially if we're talking about Miranda Priestley. But what we really learn from Miranda Priestley is a lot of things like how to have really solid boundaries and that being successful can mean not being loved and be loved by everyone else and how you can have priorities for your children and how you can leverage your priorities to make your family's life better um, if you are a good leader that is able to tap into where your strengths are. Um, There are a few things that you'll want to get better at. And so on the survival tip section, you'll be able to dive in to what each of those tips are. So just one of the tips, for example, is to make sure that you are creating time for human connection. Because one of the things that you might notice is if you're leaning into the stone cold supervisor uh, mentality, especially if you are hiring and maybe not 100% how to measure what these characteristics are that are coming into your door, 
or your, you know, proverbial door, um, then you will want to, it's less about them and it's more about you because when we have small businesses, we want to make sure that the people we're managing do feel connected to us so that we can create a safe environment for them. So even if you prefer to have a really asynchronous environment and you believe that your team members love the flexibility and the fact that they can do whatever they want as long as they're getting their job done, we can't just let that be the main key to how we're getting the best results out of our people. That will likely get your to-do list done, um, but you may not end up with employees that are going to stick around. And we need that human connection, especially in the small business space, not only because it's more fun and more connected, but it's also going to uh, kind of offset your your innate strengths of using that data and things like that. So of course, the key t- here is to finding people that complement those strengths, people that love clarity that they really thrive in an environment that's data-driven and they appreciate you as a strategic leader um, so that you can mentor them fairly easily without having to spend a lot of time, quote unquote, interfacing. Um, So really is important to make sure that you are creating a system or creating a time blocking method of making sure that there is human connection with your team member. Um, Now, depending on who your team member is and what their personality is, we hope that we're not just hiring another clone of you. Um, So there's going to be lots of opportunities to do that. So it's just something to think about if you are a stone cold supervisor. Um, Our, on the complete opposite end of things, our type five is actually represented by Michael Scott. And I love this analogy because everybody loves Michael Scott and we all think he's so funny and whatever. And he's kind of like a savant when it comes to getting results from team members. But again, it's a TV show, so we don't want to be modeling our behaviors after him. (laughs) But there are some really amazing things about Michael Scott that make him a great leader, similar to Miranda Priestly. They just look a little bit more obvious, I think. And especially when if you're a female leader, then you may be drawn to the likability factor of Michael Scott or being able to have connections with your team members or also his ability to just kind of make mistakes and just let it ride (laughs) and it's okay. Um, But there's one thing that we really can't deny is that Michael Scott has very high retention on his team. So (laughs) whether you want to take it for a fact or not, um, the open book boss or the Michael Scott is extremely open and has a really kind heart. So while they are more individualistic at times, meaning that Michael Scott will likely be looking out for his interests um, at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, it is because of his kindness and care for his team. And um, one of the things that if you got the open book boss is that you probably don't value too much solid boundaries in your business. They're probably very permeable which means that your people are always able to come to you and produce um, great ideas, bad ideas, but we know that we have to have bad ideas to have good ones, um, and innovation because they feel that there's space for them there. So your survival tips as an open book boss, there's a couple things. So if you happen to be an open book boss that's also a verbal processor, just keep in mind that not all of your team members are going to be able to handle that type of brainstorming. So making sure that you are really solid if you end up in a brainstorming situation about the expectations to result from spending that time with your team and making sure that throughout that processing and ideas and 
you know, the, the communication that's thrown around is that there really is clarity and understanding at the end of it all. So being able to, while we may as open book bosses feel like we just want to jump right in to the next thing that's going to create an environment for our team, or, you know, we're very motivated by relationships or the next conversation or whatever the case may be. Um, we do want to actually take a second and make sure that there is meaning and value behind what we're putting out there. So a survival tip for an open book boss is not to make, not to assume that everybody else around you processes information the same way that you do. Um, and also to not assume that you having open boundaries and you um, being an open-minded person or being a trustworthy person or being a care-forward person um, is going to be the way that you're going to connect with your team. Some of your team members, and we hope that you have a variety, you don't want a bunch of people on your team that are are working the same way, um, are going to do a little bit better when there's a little bit more structure. And if they don't feel pressure to weaken their boundaries in order to meet you halfway. So make sure that you're not holding those same expectations up to your team members um, that you have. Because if you're putting your heart and soul into your business every day, that is what we do. Um, And they can see that. And they may resist coming to you when things need to be talked about or something's more difficult or you make a mistake because you wear your heart on your sleeve. So just keep in mind that that can actually create a really toxic work environment, which is often totally unintentional. The other thing about these types is that we're assuming that if you're taking this quiz, you are not a person that wants to create a toxic work environment. So none of these types are forcefully creating a toxic work environment in any way, shape, or form. And the way that you might identify things as toxic might be different than even your team would. So there is no one, you know, kind of type that's better than the others. But we do want to make sure that we're laying out there that with every strength, there may be what I think they call in like astrology and stuff. It's like a shadow side of things. So when in these types, they're often highlighting things that are really prominent in your personality or um, they kind of take take over when people are describing you, if you only had like a couple pages to do that. So these generalities are not meant to make you feel bad or anything like that, but just to keep in mind like, oh, I want to make sure that anyone that comes into my space and works for me understands that I know myself so that I can create a pathway for them to get what they need, even if it's different than what I originally thought they might need. Um, And we'll have some resources coming out very soon um, to help you identify your the employee type and how you can best communicate with them regardless and, you know, because in because of your type and how to do that with your type. So um, we'll jump right back over to type two. So you're efficient executor. So this is like our one Ron Swanson. Um, my favorite thing about this type is that the efficient executor is often someone that is protecting themselves a little bit and they have a heart of gold, but they're not going to let it kind of water down the, their purpose. So they're very purpose driven. Um, you probably, if you're an efficient executor, you're probably super, super passionate about what you do and what your business does. And you, when it comes right down to it, you want things to be clear. You want them to be straightforward, predictable, and fair, not only because 
that is what you believe is the right way to work, but also because that's how you work the best. Um, it allows you to make quick decisions. So if you're a person that got the efficient executor that sometimes has to circle around an issue a little bit before they're making a decision, um, and you got this type, then what that's telling you is that you need to create a better system for creating a pathway to a faster decision. Um, so because as an efficient executor, you probably rely heavily on SOPs, Loom videos, um, and communicate really well that way. And that's not saying that you're a verbal processor so much as a way that once you can see the processes all laid out, it helps you to feel confident in the way that you're training your team members. You may be a person that is kind of one foot in the weeds, like fully, and one foot learning to step away and to make sure that you're not so controlling over the situations at hand. Um, if you're an efficient executor, you're probably fairly good at delegating, but you may not provide the depth that a lot of people need. So on the flip side of this, we have our type four, which is sort of like our mirrored version of the efficient executor, where there is a lot of issues stemming from control, but where they will tackle that is by going super deep in the why behind the what, whereas the efficient executor will sit back and wait for their team to come to them. They're not going to create problems where there are none, quote unquote. They're not going to create a situation where they may not know um, a, a person, the way that a person likes to learn. And so they're, you know, not going to create six different types of SOPs. If they just need one, they're going to wait for the team to come to them to ask for that extra help and support. So one thing that's really um, something to watch out for if you're an efficient executor is that there is going to be team members that come on your team who are really looking for connection. And what I would suggest doing is sharing your passion for your job, pa your passion for your business with your team members in order to create that connection with them. If you're not super comfortable with creating friendships or, you know, kind of outside of work um, relationships. So we often see efficient executors wait too much time to hire. And I think that one of the things that we see there is that it is partially a control issue, but it's partially a preparation issue. So if you like to have every different way of doing something laid out throughout one process, you're probably doing too much. And you may be self-sabotaging your growth because you're focusing on things that are not actually going to generate you any revenue or help you make any progress. But instead, you're focusing on things that are probably holding you back from growth with the excuse of we're not ready, we don't have SOPs together, blah, blah, blah blah, 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 blah. Um, in which case, just keep in mind that that may be something that might cause other members of your team to get burned out. Um, it also might have you getting your hands dirty in the weeds of the business a little bit more than you should. Um, and so while you're delegating those extra tasks, it may be time to hire someone else. So being able to focus and communicate with your team members who are in the weeds with you and asking them a little bit more about um, what they need in their job and what we're missing and going deep instead of those surface level SOPs is going to give you some more insight into innovation in your business and setting aside your business through your team um, or setting your business apart 
through your team with your competitors by having that kind of extra layer of depth. Um, so a lot of tech companies, we see a lot of efficient executors there, especially because you can, it's a lot of black and white, you know, it is what it is. So it can be a really nice place for an efficient executor to land um, in a predictable work environment like that. So if that's you and you're finding that, especially in those environments, um, you feel like there's a little bit too much work going on. It's probably because there's too much time spent trying to control how and how the work is getting done instead of helping your team understand why the work needs to get done and truly delegating that off to somebody else. Um, so like I said, the mirror, the mirror of this position, the mirror of the Ron Swanson type is the BFF boss, which is Liz Lemon, which I mean, maybe some of you are too young to know about the icon that is Liz Lemon, but I highly suggest watching a couple of episodes of 30 Rock if you can. Um, but the thing that we love about Liz Lemon and in general, the BFF boss and the strengths that you have is that you're extremely likable and you build trust really fast. So while there, you do have some semblance of boundaries, um, they can be a little unpredictable, but your team knows that you prioritize their safety at work. And that means psychologically and physically. Um, you also value your whole team's happiness and enjoyment. And you love building relationships with your team members. It's something that you truly enjoy doing. And that genuine interest in the well-being of your team shows up in your altruistic leadership approach. So earlier in the episode, we talked a little bit about that individualism versus collectivism. And in this case, type four is where our kind of collectivism-focused leaders will land. Um, with that said, we have some survival tips for you. Um, so one of the things that I'm just going to point out now is that accountability can be a little bit confusing for your team members. So what that might do is put you in a situation to where you may not necessarily assign accountability because you are trying to create an environment where it's a collective, um, drive towards the same goals. But unfortunately, not all teams can function that way. So we need to be able to have a little bit of collaboration mixed in with a lot of accountability in order to make sure that things are actually getting done and we're not just having really powerful and innovative conversations. If we can't turn that conversations into something tangible, then our business isn't showing up in the way that it, the best way that it can. And your unique ability to manage your team and build trust quickly means that your team is going to build relationships with each other really easily as well. So if you end up, the cautionary tale is if you end up with someone on your team that may not respond so easily or straightforward in that way, um, then you're going to want to make sure that they don't feel like they don't belong. Um, we often hire people that are similar to us, but we want to make sure that we have a good mix of different diverse personalities and perspectives on our team. And um, we hear a lot about culture fit and vibes and things like that. And um, that might be a conversation for another day. I have a lot of thoughts on it and it's not necessarily black or white or one way or another, but the BFF boss can actually create a toxic environment for somebody that may not find it as easy to connect with their team members at the same time. Um, so I would definitely suggest checking out those survival tips. Um, there's actually a couple pages on that, on that one, um, for the people leader archetype, uh, BFF boss. I also thought that was just funny um, in general. And then finally, I right in the middle, we have the balanced mentor. So I think that we will have quite a few people that land right in the middle because it is sort of 
in the measurement of all the different elements that we came from. It's somebody that's sort of right in the middle, um, which means that you have a lot of balance. However, this is the type of leader that can actually cause the biggest problem. <laughs> and the reason is because it's similar to that thing of riding the fence. So if you're always riding the fence and you're never picking a side, it's that like, if you, and this is going to sound really aggressive because this leadership type isn't necessarily fully embodying this, but the balanced mentor can, in some situations, become a person that is sort of if you, if you stand for everything, then you stand for nothing kind of a thing. Um, and while you can see many sides of different points, um, it kind of puts you in a position to sort of like play Gumby in the middle of multiple people all the time. Um, and it can be really hard to ever feel like you can turn your work off at the end of the day. The balanced mentor really has to understand themselves deeply in order to not create a codependent work environment um, where team members just kind of get sick of things and need to move on. And the way that the balanced mentor is going to thrive is that they have to make sure that they can turn off their management hat at the end of the day. They have to turn off their relationship with their team members in intentional ways. Oftentimes, you will have a people-oriented mindset if you're a balanced mentor. Um, but you may overlook the needs of the business. Maybe you don't pay yourself regularly, but you do pay your team regularly. Or maybe you are uh, rolling over ideas in your head so often that you're not actually taking action. Or you're considering other people's opinions rather than trusting your instincts. Um, the balanced mentor really could benefit from making sure that they're very educated on all of the why behind the what and management strategy. Now, all of the types can benefit from being trained in how to best manage teams and get the most out of their teams, especially in small business when every action we take either costs us money or makes us money. And that's truly the end of the, like the whole point of all of this is that every action you take as a manager is either going to cost you or make you money. And we're also here to make sure that we are not just focusing on that metric, but instead understanding the very tenuous relationship between the happiness and capability of our team members and their health, their mental health, their physical health, um, all of those things, and our company's ability to make money overall. So the way I like to see it, or the way that I like to explain it, is that your actions will have an immediate reaction, whether it is making money or losing money, and that could just be in the form of your time. But the capacity in which and the the bandwidth in which you can make or lose money depends on how healthy and happy and entrenched in the business and motivated your people are. And that also comes directly from another side of their relationship with you. So one really thing, one thing that I really love about the balance, balance mentor is that you can easily go back and forth between being business minded and people centered. Um, and it's really nice to be able to work with especially as we're mentoring leaders um, that have this ability to go back and forth. It makes it a fun work environment because that means in one meeting, you can be totally talking about the needs of the business and having really amazing and intentional ideas, but you may get off topic and then start talking about something else like Vanderpump Rules or something like that. Um, so there's definitely a lot of kind of 
the first hire for a balanced mentor is going to be somebody that is actually going to pull them in one way or another so that they can step into other sides of their leadership style. Um, they're, uh, if they're building out their team, they want to make sure that they have a balanced number of people that are speaking to both sides of the personality. Um, they're going to want people that are really money and data driven, and they're going to want people that are really relationship driven. And then they're going to need to be able to switch back and forth between those contexts of conversation all the time. This creates a situation where the balanced mentor can have a really, really solid team with lots of different expertise and diversity and opinion and innovative ideas, um, which is really awesome. So the one thing that I will say is that more than any other type, while you are very balanced, if you're a balanced mentor, you have to spend a lot of time investing in yourself and getting to know yourself as a leader and also the strategies and tactics behind managing a team. Um, because truthfully, if you are a balanced mentor, then there are still going to be some things that you have to do that are much more skills based on the management side that you might have been able to get away with not doing for a while because you're naturally able to connect with your team well while also keeping your business in mind. So what we often see is for type threes to come into a situation where they're starting to take their natural skills and take them to another level. And generally we see huge results as they get better and better and more focused as managers because they're able to attack the material and then put it into their business in a very seamless way. So while all of our types are going to benefit from management education and intentionality, the balanced mentor is really unique in a sense because you already probably do know yourself pretty well. You're probably not surprised about a lot of the information you're seeing in the guide, uh, the survival kit, or on our website um, in, re in regards to your quiz results. But there are so many things that you can tap into for the other four types that are going to absolutely catapult your management style. And that depends on who you're managing. So being a balanced mentor means that you're putting something on your shoulders that's different from the other types in a sense of you may have a trainee, somebody that you're bringing onto your team that is going to really thrive if they're managed by somebody that really approaches things the way that Miranda Priestley does. They're really going to thrive in their job and produce amazing work if you're having work conversations the way that a direct data-driven manager will. Um, whereas you may have another team member that's going to need a little bit more why behind the what. They're going to have to understand the reasons that they're doing their job. They're going to have to understand how they can be more connected to you and connected to the mission of the company in order to be motivated to do their job. You, Any of the types can pull from any of the other types. However, However, with the balanced mentor, you have to be able to go from one side to the other in a really short period of time um, because you have likely been building a team around your ability to adapt. So you kind of have to learn how to be a manager alongside all the other types in order to be able to know how you're intentionally showing up in different situations. Whereas if you're a type one or two, um, so this is sort of the end of the episode, Type ones and twos are going to be a little bit more boundary driven. So you're probably going to have to focus a lot on relationships and you're, that is how you're going to deepen the knowledge within the company. So being able to be voice to voice or face to face in a more intentional way is actually going to help you to deepen um, the connectivity between your company and your people, even if it's just for short periods of time. So putting yourself out there in a sense of, 
um, creating a little bit of vulnerability and a little bit more connection and talking, uh, funneling your passion for your data and your mission into your communication with your team. Whereas four and five are really going to try to make sure that if there are things that they're expecting from their team, it's really clear. There's solid and clear accountability. There's no, um, there's no confusing who's responsible for what and that you're going to create a safe environment regardless if your team member naturally is attracted to your style of management and communication or not. So just keep that in mind um, over time. So no matter what type you are, we're going to be able to pull from each of them, especially when it comes to different employees. But really leaning into your type is going to be so impactful for the way that you're managing your team and even in the way that you're making mistakes. Um, So thank you so much for listening to this pop-up episode. Make sure that you leave us a review, five stars, obviously. Um, Let me know what you thought about it, how much of your type really resonated with you. Um, I've seen quite a few type twos and fours coming in. So it's really fun to see those results happening. Um, But we'll dive in further over the next few weeks and looking forward to seeing what everybody's results are. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.